Greetings, brethren. Certainly want to thank Mrs. Winnell for that beautiful special music. We enjoy that so much and appreciate it. It adds so much to services. I want to thank Mr. League for that interesting introduction. And I want to thank God that he is a pastor and not a prophet. <laughs> but these have been, just the last two days have just been wonderful. He was absolutely right that how these two back-to-back Sabbaths and Holy Days have just made things so special. Just today evening, we, uh, Marsha brought out a supper she'd already prepared. We had it on our back porch, such a pleasant, peaceful evening that we've enjoyed. The morning was so good. Indeed, God's holy time is a great and wonderful blessing for us all. Turn, if you would, please, to John chapter 6, verses 32 through 34. John chapter 6, verse 32 and 34. You might want to mark this, uh, John 6, in your Bible. We're going to be referring back to it from time to time. Very interesting and profound things written here and recorded for us today. Beginning in verse 32, it goes, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Now, a week ago, we put out all the leaven from our homes. In this past week, we have been eating unleavened bread. We've been avoiding leavened products. We've been thinking about coming out of sin and how we find sin in our lives. Some of us found bits of bread or something that we put away and didn't know about it, just that it reminded us of locating and finding sin in our lives and how important it is to put that out. God has us act it out every year so that we don't forget. He gives us this season to do this thing. And also, we've been eating unleavened products as reminder of coming out of sin and living on that perfect bread, which is Christ himself. This is the bread of eternal life. The next week, this coming week, we'll be eating then leavened products again. We'll having donuts, long line maybe at Krispy Kreme uh, um, tomorrow sometime, and I... Well, don't eat too much bad stuff, but uh, maybe some bagels or some sandwiches, a cake or a pizza. I don't know what we'll do tonight. Maybe after dark we'll send out for a pizza or something. We'll see. But we will be eating uh, unleavened products. And maybe we've missed those things during the week. Uh, I have to say we have some of this delicious unleavened bread. I look forward to it every year. It's not exactly the, uh, the bread of affliction. Some of these ladies do such good unleavened things. But we will be going back to our, leavened, our regular leavened diets. Well, the unleavened bread of eternal life is something that we must eat and need to eat every day of our lives. The unleavened bread of eternal life is something we want to eat all the time, every day. 
I think that it's fitting and helpful that we think about the nature of that bread today so that we will not ever fail to eat of it for the rest of our lives. So the title of today's sermon is The Bread of Eternal Life. Now, the first main point, we'll call that Roman numeral one. Turn, if you would, please, to Exodus chapter 16. We'll begin in verse 5 and just skip around and read a few things there. Exodus chapter 16. Israel has come out of Egypt, and God is showing them the Sabbath again. They had lost it in in Egypt and the type of sin, and he is showing them the Sabbath, their their test commandment. Go back to verse 2. The whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto him, Would to God we had died by the Lord of the hand in the land of Egypt, whether we had uh, sat by the flesh pots and we did eat bread to the full. For you have brought us into the wilderness to kill us and this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and shall gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. A test commandment. Are you going to walk in my law, the Sabbath? I'm going to give this to you and show you where it is. And then verse 5, and it shall come to pass that in the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto the children of Israel, At even you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. Look down then in verse 22 and 23. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for one man, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said unto them, This is that which the Lord has said, Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which you will bake today, and seethe that which you will seethe, and that which remains over lay up for you to be kept until the morning." So we see the institution then of the manna. It pictures the true bread. And in this manner, God announced the Sabbath to Israel, which they had lost in Egypt, just as we all had our own spiritual Egypts. Unless you grew up in the church, you had to learn about the Sabbath. And God taught us about it. He taught us that it's holy time. He taught us that it pictures its coming kingdom. So they gathered manna six days, but they ate it seven days. They ate it for seven days. And the Sabbath pictures the millennial rule of Christ. It's a test for us all, and it identifies an obedient people, those who are set apart, made holy by God, and it identifies them as his people. God could have simply said, day after tomorrow is the Sabbath, but he gave Israel six days to gather and then one to eat the double portion that was gathered on preparation day. Why was that? Why did he do that? Well, it's interesting to look at that today, because there's a connection between the events of Exodus 16 and the days of unleavened bread. Exodus 16, verse 4, you remember what it said there? It said, bread from heaven. They received bread from heaven. 
Who is our bread from heaven? Christ is. He is our bread from heaven. There's going to be more on that in a little bit. He also said whether they will walk in my law or not. And love and bread is about putting sin out. We're putting sin out saying, yes, Father, we will walk in your law. We will walk in it all our days. We will put sin out and keep your law. It is not freedom from the law. That's anomia, lawlessness. It's called iniquity in the Bible. It's interesting that um, after taking Passover, we eat unleavened bread for seven days, just as Israel ate the manna for seven days. Manna was a type or a forerunner of the bread of eternal life that was to come. Now turn over to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We're going to read a good bit in that right now and come back to it a time or two. Uh, Just to summarize in verses 1 through 13, that's the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. John chapter 6 is a very good thing to read in the time of the spring holy days. 1 through 13 is the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. Then verses 14 through 21 is the account of Christ walking on the water. Then we come in verse 7, Christ is in Capernaum. In verse 26, Jesus said that they sought him, they followed him there because of the bread, the food that he had given them earlier. Then in verse 27, we begin. Jesus says, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. And they said to him, What shall we do that we may do the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see and believe you now? We'll see and believe you. And what work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Remember, they had just, also they had just seen the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. They had just seen a miracle where Christ gave them food, bread. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Christ is the bread of God. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will in no wise cast out. You know, each of you has done that. You have been drawn to the Father, or the Father has drawn you to the church and to Christ, and you've come to him, and he has not cast you out. Rather, he's encouraged you and me and kept us and held us, led us through our trials. He wants us there. He wants to help us and encourages us and supports us in every way. Verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up the last day. 
This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up the last day. What a wonderful encouragement for us to know that. Verse 41, then the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread who comes down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, the father and mother, whose father and mother we know? I knew this kid growing up. Who does he think he is? He came down from heaven? Well, you know, they knew his parents. So they had trouble believing. Verse 43, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day, as it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Verse 48. Here it is. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the bread, the living bread, which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give you is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. And I in him, as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. Feeding on Christ. How much have you heard that? How often do you hear it? It's because it's important, brethren. Important. Verse 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as though your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Why did we eat unleavened bread for seven days? Israel ate manna for seven days. They gathered for six. We eat the symbol of the true bread seven days, our millennial week, our whole lives. We're to eat that bread always. Israel was a physical nation, ate the physical manna, which came down from heaven. They all died in the wilderness, except for two, of course, Joshua and Caleb, who were symbols and types. We eat the true bread, and even though we die in this age, we will live forever through that bread, the bread of life. Okay, now the second major point I want to talk about. We've talked a little bit about the bread of life and its importance. Christ, the bread of life. So maybe we should learn a little more about that bread of eternal life that it brings. Several points about it. I'm going to do several points. The first one is that the Father gives it. The Father gives 
this bread. We'll do a quick review of John 6, where we just read. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. The Father gives this bread of life. Verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and no one who comes to me will by any means be cast out. We come to that bread, and the Father wants to give it. He gives it. Verse 39, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing. Verse 65, and he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. So it's the Father who gives this, this bread of life. Now the second point about that, the Father wants to give it. It is his will to give it. Christ said he came to do the will of the Father, not his own, and it is the will of the Father to give us this true bread that enables us to live. Speaking of the church, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 8 through 11, Matthew 7, we'll begin in verse 9, if you would. This is, I always thought this was a very encouraging and interesting scripture. And an interesting reference that Jesus used. We're going to connect that with another scripture in just a moment. In Matthew 7, beginning verse 9, he said, Oh, what man is there among you if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Can you imagine that? Kid comes home from school and says, Dad, boy, I'm starving. I missed lunch today. Can I have something to eat? Here, kid, here's a rock. Here's a stone to eat. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Can you imagine? That's just unthinkable that a loving father would do that. Even a mean, unloving father wouldn't do such a thing. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Matthew 6, verse 26. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 26. Once again, Jesus reminds us that it is our Father who feeds us. Our Father feeds us. Just like a good father in a complete, right, righteous Christian family, the father is the bread earner of the family. That's what we call him. And he often the wife works too. In these modern times, that's needed. We understand that. But the father's the bread winner. We even have that phrase. And he brings the bread home for the family. In the church, he doesn't bring home the bacon. He brings home the bread. <laughs> but Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap, neither nor gather into the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? The Father will feed us daily on the bread of life if we will only eat, if we only eat. Can you imagine a, a loving father that's got, a, a say, a child and and... You know, he brings the child food, and the child won't eat. Look, you haven't eaten in two days. Here's food. No, I don't want anything. I'm not hungry. That would make you feel horrible. Are we spiritual anorexics? Here it is, food, food. We don't eat it. We don't partake of it. Are we spiritual anorexics? How long can you go without eating? A week? Will you not become weak if you do that? You fasted before. 
Do you go on spiritual fasts where you eat none of the Word of God, this bread that He has for us? Let's not be spiritual anorexics. Turn to Matthew 4, 1 through 5. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Jesus' temptation by Satan. I always connected this scripture with Matthew 7. I'll show you why in a moment. Just my own little thing. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. This is Jesus' temptation by Satan. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Afterwards, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered him and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Christ was fasting not to weaken himself, but to strengthen himself spiritually before the encounter with Satan. He was strong spiritually. But think, here's a situation. Remember, we we read just a minute ago where a father, son, asks him for bread. He's hungry, he's starving, and he gives him a rock. Where have you ever heard of that happening? Here it is. Christ was starving, and Satan offered him a stone to eat. He didn't even offer him. He didn't even change it into, into bread himself. He, he lacked the competence. He lacked the power to do it. He said, here, you do it. Here's a rock. Have something to eat. And Christ took nothing from him. Nothing. Not even a stone would he take from Satan. Satan had nothing in him. Satan gave him nothing. He accepted nothing from Satan. You know, I don't like to often point out, God's Word nourishes. This is true nourishment. But what kind of nourishment do you get during the week from the world's popular culture? What do you get from Satan's world, from television? What do you get when you watch that? What do you get when you listen to the world's music, to the the violent and the ugly lyrics that we have? What What does Satan feed us in the popular culture of the day? Stones. He's feeding us stones. Certainly not God's word. Kids, here's a note. Take a note. Don't eat rocks. It's not good for you. That's what Satan has to feed us with. Now, we're talking about the bread of life. We're going to move on to the next one. We've already mentioned that the Father gives it. The Father wants to give us. So number three is, let's see how he gives us this bread of life, how he gives it to us. Turn to Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 4. The scripture in Deuteronomy that Jesus quoted to Satan becomes even more interesting when we view it in the context of the days of unleavened bread. Jesus was unleavened, sinless, completely sinless, and remained so. This scripture becomes really interesting when we think about it in the context of unleavened bread. Let's follow up on it. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God gave you all the way 
these 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness, just as Christ spent 40 days, to humble you and to test you and to know what was in your heart, lest you, um, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and to feed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. There it is, the manna and bread, man not living by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. That word is the bread of life. And that's why Dr. Meredith constantly says, feed on Christ, feed on Christ, because we are to do that. This powerful theme is repeated over and over throughout the Bible. Maybe God thinks it's important. Maybe it's important. This is a good day, the Sabbath right after the days of unleavened bread, to be thinking about the importance of this bread of life that we are to be eating year-round. That's how the Father gives it. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 10, 16 through 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 16 and 17. We are all partakers of that bread. And the other night on Passover, once again, you were partakers of that bread. He has us do that every year. Verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. The Passover, the 14th Passover, brethren, we got it right. We got it right. I've been reading and studying some lately about this. You know, our Catholic Friends, our Catholic theologians and historians, they know that the 14th Passover, they call it the Quartodeciman Passover, they know that was originally observed by the church. They also know that it was originally observed on apostolic authority. That's why it was done. They don't really question that. They just know they changed it later on and don't particularly care. But we keep it. We keep it. And you can keep it. If you take those symbols and the bread of, um, um, of wine and water on any other day, you know, that's not the Passover. It's not the body and blood of Christ. It's just a snack. <laughs> if you do it some other time. This is the true bread. And Christ has his church do it. This is unique to us, brother, and it's been reestablished. How important is this to us? How important? Okay, the fourth point, some instructions about this food, this bread of life that we are given. Turn to John 21, verses 15 through 18. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 18. Jesus gave Peter an instruction which he subsequently relayed to the ministry. It's very important for all of us. Verse 15, <clears throat> So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. 
And he said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son, son of Jodah, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, you know I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. Pastor them. Pastor them. Verse 17, And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. With what, brethren? The bread of life. The word of God. So then... The fifth point, the last one in this series, he told him to feed the flock with what? Well, of course, the bread of life, which is every word that proceeds from God. Turn to 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4. 1 Peter chapter 5, 2 through 4. We're seeing this instruction, this bread of life, goes from the Father through Christ. Then instruction to feed them goes to Peter, the chief apostle. Then it comes to down to whom? Peter later instructed the ministry, the ministry. First Peter 5, beginning in verse 2. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre but of a ready mind. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fades not. Feed the flock. Feed the flock. With, with what? Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 17. We're kind of doing a little Bible study on this subject. You could see this appears over and over and over in God's Word. This is a constant theme that He has. It's important for us, especially to remember this time of year. Verse 17, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcomes, I will give to eat of the hidden manna. The hidden manna. Well, that hidden manner is doubtless reference to the bread of life that we eat, but the world can't see. The world doesn't know about it. They look, they see something different. They don't know who the true Christ is, and if you tell them, they'll reject it and say, well, you're, that's heresy, there's something wrong with you if you do that. Let me digress for a moment. There's an interesting speculative point about this. I was reading in Unger's Bible Dictionary one time under the topic of manna, and it turns out there's a Jewish tradition, an old one, about the manna. It says that the author of Hebrews, Hebrews 9.14, we believe that's Paul, includes a golden jar holding manna among the contents of the Ark of the Covenant for a memorial. It was a constant tradition of the Jews that the Ark the tables of stone, Aaron's rod, the holy anointing oil, and the jar of manna were hidden by Josiah when Jerusalem was taken by the Chaldeans, and that these shall be restored in the days of the Messiah. Well, that's speculative, but wouldn't that be wonderful if somewhere that jar of manna is hidden somewhere? And when the true manna comes out and is revealed, that is revealed again as well. 
Well, I don't know that, but it's a pleasant thought in any case. But what is the nature of the promised eternal life that God gives? The bread which comes down from our Father, which gives eternal life. In order to know more about the nature of that eternal life, then it's necessary to look at our elder brother, who is the firstborn, who leads the way for us, who is the type, the firstborn, the firstborn of many. So the third major point, then, I don't know if you may have heard uh, my usual rant from time to time about the way that the doctrine of immortality of the soul acts as a barrier to understanding many aspects of God's truth. People who have that wrong doctrine in their minds have great difficulty understanding. It's good to remember sometimes when you're explaining what we believe to people. If someone believes that they have this immortal soul, See, my, they say, well, my mortal soul, that's me, and it's looking out through my eyes, and it's seeing the world. That's my immortal soul inside of me now. But when I die and this physical body falls off, then my immortal soul is, is released, and it goes to heaven if it's been saved, and it goes to the bad place if it hasn't been, see? And that's what's going to happen to you, you legalist, you know, if you think you need to keep the Sabbath. And then they go off on that. Well, this prevents them from understanding so much if they have this uh, particular problem. It keeps them from understanding the nature of the eternal life. They can't understand that. They can't understand the gospel of the kingdom of God or what the kingdom of God is. They say, well, maybe it's in heaven. Or they can't understand that it's on earth. They don't understand about the resurrected saints They don't understand that we are justified now. And having been justified, we shall be saved by his life, by his resurrection. All of those things they can't know because of this one barrier, this one frustrating barrier that Satan has put in their minds. Well, let's go over this just a little bit. Turn to 1 Timothy 6, verses 14 through 16. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. I don't know how they can miss this, but brethren, we aren't immortal. We are not immortal now. You know, uh, Mr. Armstrong used to say he used the hat pin test on people. He says, if I stick you with a hat pin, we'll find out if you're immortal. You're going to say, ouch, because it hurts. You're not immortal yet. Verse 14, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potentate, King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality. Christ alone is immortal, dwelling in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. So only Christ is immortal. And I know you understand that, but the world does not. Now, down to John 5, beginning in verse 25. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. A brief review of this eternal life that Christ is the bread of. Beginning in verse 25. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, 
and those who hear will live. As for the Father, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted to the Son to have life in himself. Christ has inherent life, life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. 2 Timothy 1, 10 and 11. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. More on the subject of immortality. The world hasn't known it. You know, in the second century A.D., the church went through a Hellenization process. In other words, it picked up a lot of Greek philosophy and many of the doctrines that had been passed down through the uh, years from the pagans, from, say, from Egypt to Babylon to Greece, and then many of their gods, many of their festivals, all of these things, all of their, uh, many of their spiritual doctrines were literally Christianized. And people decided, well, maybe, you know, the Greeks were right about um, the, the immortal soul. But God reveals something else. Verse 10. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He's showing us what immortality is. They never knew what immortality is. They couldn't imagine it. Christ was the first of many to come. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 and 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 22 and 23. Once again, telling us about this life that he has for us. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Look down to verse 44. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. It's not an immortal soul. You're not immortal already. If you die and you go into your grave, you are dead. You must be saved out of it. You must be given life. Verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. You don't have it already. He's going to put it on you. Life, true life, inherent life, glorious life in the kingdom of God. Verse 49, as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. The same image that Christ has when he was resurrected that glorious image. He is raising us in glory, the bread of eternal life. We're eating it. We're feeding on it. We're growing in it. And this is what you have to look forward to, to be like him, to be with him in his kingdom and family forever, living, loving, giving in the wonderful way of life, an unspeakable joy that he and the Father have, the glory that they have together now and that Christ had with the Father before he was made flesh, he is giving to us that same glory 
And all of this is made possible by the things that we're learning and studying today. What a great, wonderful promise we have. Life and death. That's the choice. And what did he say to Israel? Choose life. Choose life, brethren. He has the bread of life for us, offers it to us. We have it to take. Do we eat it? Do we eat it always? Are we feeding on Christ, our bread of life, the bread of eternal life? First John chapter 3, verses 2 through 6. First John chapter 3 and verses 2 through 6. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. Inherit life, immortal, glorified. For we shall see him as he is. Verse 3. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Remains unleavened. We're going to see that's connected here a lot. When God mentions this life, when he mentions the immortality that we have, he connects it with this matter of remaining unleavened. Let's look at that just again, once again. Everyone who has this hope in him, the hope of life, purifies himself just as he is pure. You are unleavened, brother. We are to remain that way. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he who was manifested to take away our sins, that is to make us unleavened, as you are today, and in him there is no sin, he was the first, the first always unleavened, the perfect sacrifice, the unleavened bread which we eat, the bread of life, verse 6, Whoever abides in him does not sin, stays unleavened, stays unleavened. That's what he teaches us. He repeats it a lot, doesn't he? I wonder if you've seen this mentioned. I'm just pointing these things out in the scriptures. If you look for them, you'll find it said over and over and over in God's word. Because he knows the importance of all of this for all of us. Philippians chapter 3. Verses 21, that's a chapter division there, then we'll read chapter 4 and verse 1. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to subdue even to subdue all things to himself. Wow, what a promise. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Stand fast in the Lord. Translation, stay unleavened. Stay unleavened. There it is again. Don't be overcome by sin. Don't eat Satan's rocks. Stay unleavened. God said that he has granted the Son 
to have life in himself. And we are to have bodies like him, having inherent life in us. What does that mean? Hard to comprehend. But you're going to live forever in this kingdom. You're going to be unleavened and sinless forever. You're going to be living and loving and working and serving with people forever. We have this great promise, this great hope. is pictured by the day that we're in now, the seventh day, the Passover, the test commandment we read about early. It's hard to comprehend. God tells us that for in him we live and move and have our being. That's in Acts 17, verses 27 and 28. It's an interesting thing that he describes it this way. We live and move and have our being with him. God is sovereign. He is able to hold us up. He is able to make us overcome. He gives us the bread of life. He has all of these things. He does not want to lose a single one of us. Satan cannot wrestle you out of your crown. Remember the the scripture that says that no man take your crown. Somebody's going to try. They're going to do it by tempting you, by deceiving you, by getting you to become leavened again, to sin, and then to not repent of it, to keep you from doing that. You know, when Satan tried to take Christ's crown, and he tried to do it, he tried to take the crown of the second Adam in the same way that he tried that he was successfully took the crown of the first Adam, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. That was the order of temptation. Remember what he did to Adam, lust of the flesh? Oh, this is his fruit. It's good. It's, it's um, you know, it's good to eat. Lust of the eyes. It was attractive and pleasant. Pride of life. Wanted to make one wise. Then he went to the second Adam. And what did he say to him? Lust of the flesh. Aren't you hungry? Turn this in stone into bread. Lust of the eyes. Show you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll bow down to me. Pride of life. Show me that you're the son of God. He found no sin in him. No sin. He did not sin. When he came to the first Eve, he's got, he deceived her. But will he deceive the second Eve, the, the bride of Christ? She is not deceived, brethren, and you must not be deceived either. He deceives you to get you to sin, to become leavened again. That's why he does it. And the church is not deceived. We hold on to his truth. We hold on to it strongly. And Christ holds on to us through this truth that we have. Study it. We have to eat it daily to be held on, to hold on to God and to be held on to. We believe that the scriptures show that the bread of life that we eat today makes it possible to us to be self-existent. That Jesus is coming, just as Jesus is now, of course, with much less power. Turn to John 17:22. John chapter 17 and verse 22. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. When we receive that glory, brethren, the glory that this bread of life leads us to, we're going to enter into the oneness of the God family. We're going to be one, even as they are one. How is a father and son one? 
How are they one? I've got some sons. We are one. We're one as a family. We're different individuals, but we are one as a family. And the oneness of God is the oneness of a family that we can enter as glorified sons of God. Brother, we're going to enter Elohim, and we must be holy. We must be set apart and sanctified. In this age, we live in Satan's profane world. This is a world with a disgusting culture about it. There's murder, all kinds of sin. Just you can think of sigh and cry over the sins of the world all day long. I'm not going to do that here today. But we are in this world, but not of it. He sets his church apart. We're set apart, sanctified and made holy. And he keeps us set apart. If we go back into that world, if we become profaned again, if we are spiritually anorexic and become weak and are overcome by Satan, then we are out of it. Then we are profaned again and we are lost back into the world. He sets us apart and keeps his people sanctified and away from sin. So it's easy to see why God is so concerned about us, first, staying spiritually unleavened, and second, constantly feeding on the bread of life that he gives us in Jesus Christ. If you are leavened, if you are profaned by sin, you cannot have eternal life. You don't have an immortal soul. There's nothing immortal about any of us here today. And when we die and we go into our graves, we must be rescued from that grave. You don't have the power to raise yourself up when you're in the grave. Only God can do that. And he can raise you in a physical resurrection like he will do for all of the world in the 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 days that the last great day pictures. We know that. But someone who is still in their sins and is profaned by sin, still leavened, that person cannot be resurrected to immortality. Because God is holy. Elohim is holy. And those who enter it by resurrection to immortality must be holy also. There is nothing profane, nothing unholy may enter the family of God. That's why it talks about uh, us being the importance of us being holy and set apart and sanctified all of the days of our lives. You remember that scripture that... Um, that uh, says that um, you, um, the wages of sin is death. We won't turn to it, but it is literally true, literally true. You cannot have life changed to immortality, enter Elohim, enter the family of God, unless you are unleavened and not in your sins. Holy, sanctified, set apart children of God. Then if you are, you can be raised to immortality and live forever. That's why it's so important that we do not sin willfully. We hear sermons about being not being willful, not being, I, I want to do this, I want to do that. Because if we sin willfully, then there's no more sacrifice for sin. What a terrible situation to be in for that to happen. Are we studying God's Word? Are we praying regularly, like we are encouraged to do? Are we fasting? Are we repenting? Are we keeping God's law and living in his way of life? It's important 
Because we hear this repeated over and over again in God's Word. Do we feed on Christ daily? Are we feeding on Him daily? Are we partaking of that Word that He has for us? What is your daily bread? Television? Is that some? Is your daily bread the popular culture of the world? The music? Yeah, those things can be nice. But just remember, please, don't eat rocks. Don't eat rocks. That's what Satan has for us. We want to eat and feed on the bread of life. Do we eat that unleavened bread of life daily, year-round? That's what we need to remember as we go out into the coming year right now, to feed on that bread and to feed on Christ. Turn back to John chapter 6 once again. John chapter 6. Looking at that once more briefly. And he said, and he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me, yet it were given to him by his father, by the Father. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. People left him. They left and went out. Verse 67 is a question Christ may ask us and does ask us, I think. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, the bread of life, Jesus Christ. When Christ, the bread of life, asks us this question, do you also want to go away? I have an answer for you, an answer for you. Just look back up in verse 34, and there it is. Let us always say, Lord, give us this bread always. And for the coming year, next year, and all of our days, let's ask God to give us this bread always. Let's feed on this bread, the bread of life, feed on Christ, overcome to the end, and then we will all be there when he comes, resurrected to immortality or changed. Let's overcome to the end and feed on Christ.